Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Welcome to episode 76. My guest this week is Fran Krause. He is an animator and cartoonist, and he's currently a teacher in the character animation program at Cal Arts. He's the creator of several cartoons and the creator of the Deep Dark Fears webcomic series and book, and also the author of The Creeps, which came out in September. I just found out about Deep Dark Fears, and I am so thrilled that I did because I can't think of a group of people that have more deep dark fears than writers. <laughs> and seeing how Fran has taken people submitting their fears even to the site, not just his own, and transforming them into something really touching and wonderful and funny and sweet and moving is so great. So I really was thrilled to have him on to talk about the process of creating that and to find out what he's working on now. So here we go with Fran Krause. Hey, Fran, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, no problem. How are you doing? This is, I have to say, the most exciting quick turnaround where I just found out about your book. I was like, I must have it. And I went into the secret library, uh, not the secret library, the secret headquarters. I'm quoting my own show. And was like, why don't you have this book? You guys need to get this book. I got them all fired up about the book after I had brunch and talked about it. Then I ordered the book. I read the book. And I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna call him. I'm going to get in touch with this guy. And I wrote you. I was like, do you want to come on and talk about it? And then it turns out we live like two minutes from each other. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to probably walk right near your house uh, after this podcast. I'm going to go down to Chinatown and get myself some uh, po' boys. Uh. So, uh uh, yeah, I'm I'm right in the neighborhood. I know it's amazing. So, perfect timing. We're in early November now, so everybody's still thinking about the spooky. So, I love the concept of what you're working on, which is illustrating people's deep dark fears. And I want to know how you started the project in the first place, and then I want to get into some of the fears specifically. Sure, sure. Well, um, growing up. My mother and my grandmother used to always really like telling kind of creepy ghost stories and murder stories and stuff like that. And we always used to watch Unsolved Mysteries and, and Forensic Files and things like that. So I was, I was trying to figure out what, uh, what to do for this, this comic. It's, it, it was kind of weird because I was working on a cartoon that was, was meant for YouTube. And up until this point, I really hadn't had... I mean, Deep Dark Fears is very much an internet thing. And... It's always been something I made for the internet. Um, but in, before that, I really didn't have much of a presence on the internet. I, I make animations and I teach animation up at CalArts. And uh, I was mostly known for animations, for putting my cartoons in film festivals and that sort of thing, and, and for teaching. And I think if you Google or Googled around for me five or six years ago, most of the stuff you'd find would be references to things that uh, didn't really exist on the internet, just mostly comics, or sorry, mostly films and not, not these comics. And I was making a show for, for Frederator. Um, they had gotten some money to make some shows for YouTube, and um, YouTube had decided to try to be more like a TV sh- 
channel. And so they'd hired a few people and funded them to make content for YouTube, basically. And so Federator made two series, animated series, and I was a show director on one of them. Um, the, the show creator was James Kachalka, um, and he's, he's a comic book artist out in Vermont. And it was, it was really fun to work with him because um, most of the time when I'm working with storyboarders or I'm working on animation, it can take a year or maybe um, you know on the short end a few months or uh, or something like that to tell a story but when when we'd be working with James um, he would be able to make a full kind of a storyboard pass in the form of a comic in 10 or 15 minutes and then send it back to us and it felt really direct and fun and it got me thinking in sort of a different way about making narrative stories but the comic we or the cartoon we'd made also was was kind of reviled on the internet. It was made for YouTube, and I don't know if you've worked in, with YouTube too much, but the the commenters just a are just. Bit. But they're yeah, mean. They're mean. Those I comments. Know. It's it was it was to the point where James and I were talking on the phone, talking about like, what have we done? Like, why did oh, we make no. something? Why did we make something for people who who hate it this much? It, it kind of changed my mind about wanting to make things for the internet because it really showed me how important the audience was because I still watch things on YouTube and I find things on YouTube, but it, it got me get, I got the sense that on YouTube, the comments are almost a, a contest to see who could be um, the most hateful. It I, almost seems competitive about that. in that manner. I wonder yeah. that sometimes too, because they seem like performative. Oh it's like yeah, it's definitely. its own kind of writing. We could have some hate commenter on the show and be like, "How have you made this your art form?" Because people really do seem to be very aggressive in those comments. Yeah, for no good reason. Well, for people who've really worked hard on a project. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's depressing to be honest. To to um, and it's not how I want to feel when I'm making things. It, it just really shut me down for ever wanting to do something on YouTube again, um, which is a shame because there's some good stuff on there. But yeah, I just kind of saw the fan base and thought, eh, nah, this isn't really my place. But then at the same time, I made a little animated GIF of of the show that I was working on with James, just a little guy jumping around on his bed, and and, uh, and I think he was with a robot, I forget. But um, I put it up on Tumblr, which I'd never really used before. I uh, Literally before uh, I posted anything on Tumblr, I think the only photos were piles of garbage I saw on the street that I thought were funny. And I think there was a photo of me holding some bagels because my friend just FedExed me some bagels from New York and I was missing them. <laughs> um, and that was all that was on my Tumblr. But the little animated GIF that I'd made um, wound up on, I think, Tumblr Radar, which is, it shows up on everybody's homepage. Oh, wow. Um, and so suddenly I had a thousand followers on Tumblr. And I'd never had a thousand followers on anything on Twitter or I think I have probably that many friends on Facebook, but it's just because I have a lot of former students and people following me because of my animation. So I had a thousand followers to work on, and I had no idea what Tumblr was. Like, I'd go to it, and it would say, uh, I would see a picture and think, oh, that's cool, and then I'd see three reblogs and 14 comments or whatever, and I'd think, I have no idea what that even means. Like, what's a reblog? <laughs> but then when I looked into it, because I, I wanted to figure it out, like, what the heck is is uh, is this Tumblr? I realized, oh, this is really neat because people are collecting stuff that they think they will enjoy. And if they want to say something nasty, um, they, have to either, they have to either follow the person who's, who they don't like, which they, they're less likely to do, or 
they have to um, repost it on their own website and say something. They have to repost it on their own Tumblr blog. So, so people will repost your stuff and say something nasty, but when they do, they have to take ownership for it because it's going to show up on their own blog. So I feel like YouTube is more about if you don't like something, you crap on their website. It's almost like just putting a graffiti tag on somebody's portfolio, I think. Uh, but in, on Tumblr, you have to take ownership for almost everything you say. And I thought, oh, this is kind of a weird social experiment for what the Internet would look like if everyone uh, posted um, things they were responsible for. Like I remember at some point YouTube even tried doing this thing where when you'd post a comment, it would read it back to you in a computer voice. Wow. Just to say, like, this is what you sound like. And, uh, and that was weird. Uh, didn't last too long. But I, I can tell YouTube's trying to figure out ways to get people to not be gross, but it's it's not working. So yeah, I saw a Tumblr and I thought this is great. And I really I like this. I, I mean, I like that I have these followers and I want to send them something and do something with this small fan base that I I have. But I'm I was mostly attracted to Tumblr as a as a format because I thought this is this is what I'm looking for after this whole YouTube thing. Um, so I wanted to make a series, and James had kind of inspired me to think about comics. So at some point I just sat down and thought, well, what can I make a comic about? And it, it occurred to me that something that's always been really fascinating for me is irrational fears and uh, um, kind of pointless fears that you can't get out of your head. Like I was, I, for some reason, and one of the first ones I drew was um, when I was in New York, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, white delivery vans that zip around everywhere mm-hmm. and they, they always almost hit you when you're trying to cross the street and um, the cross the the bumper that curls around the back of the van is this sort of c-shaped steel extrusion and it's it's perfectly shaped into like a little cup on the edge of it um, so that if it clips you while you're walking around and just gets your knee the scoop would just i always thought would like just scoop my kneecap right off like a like an ice cream scoop and um nice. and and I, that always uh, gave me kind of a creepy crawly feeling when I'd be walking around and trying to cross the street in New York or, or feeling like if I was running and I slipped on some wet pavement, if my fingers went into a subway grate, they would just be chopped off. Oh, yeah. And this never kept me from like walking around. I, I love walking around in New York. But uh, it, it would always, these would always pop into my head. So um, in one of my sketchbooks, I sat down and I just made a list and I thought, okay, well, I've got... I've got about 30 irrational fears, so I'm just going to draw them and see what happens and post them to the internet. And so I, I set up a blog called Deep Dark Fears, and I just started posting these comics. And, and the deal I made with myself is I have to do one every Monday, and I have to try to get it online around 7 or 8 o'clock on Monday night. Um, and since I teach till 4 on Mondays, that only gives me maybe 3 or 4 hours to draw each one. So... It's it's nice because there's some guaranteed time every week where I draw one, but it's also finite. So I can't spend the whole week working on these things because I've, I've got my full-time job at CalArts and I like taking walks and I, I don't want this to be something where I'm unhappy working on it. So it has to be limited in in a way. So that, that's kind of uh, limited the, the amount of time I can spend on it. You don't want to develop a deep, dark fear about your deep, dark fear project. Like, oh, no, no, now I have to do the deep, dark fears. No. I mean, sometimes it gets to be a hassle, but I, I do try to to um, keep it 
there's there every once in a while I'll only have 15 minutes to draw one. Then the fun part is figuring out, okay, what can I draw in 15 minutes? Can I do something in black and white or pencil rather than the usual watercolor and, you know, um, lots of detail? Can I make something simple? And sometimes that makes me think of it in different ways and it keeps things interesting. So how long was it before people did... Did you ask for people to send in their own fears that you could then illustrate, or did they just start volunteering them? They just started sending them. Um, I think I had enough fears so that after I'd drawn about 15 or 20, um, there's a couple clues that to me that, I, that this was going to be a bigger thing than I thought. I got, I think the first angry email I got was somebody saying, I can't find the button to flip to the next page. And I had to email them back and say, there, there is no next page. I just started this comic. <laughs> And then uh, a few, maybe after two or three months of doing this, so after maybe 12 or 15 comics, I, um, I started getting submissions. I think people just assumed I was taking submissions because you know, who would have you know, 30 different weird fears? Um, and so as soon as I drew the first one, I, I was sure to give credit to it. And, and after that, I, I get quite a few every week. Um, I have to set aside a little time to just sit and read fears every week. Uh, but I never really asked for them initially, um, so that that was always kind of a fun part, because I don't think I, I would have ever asked. I, I think I would have felt weird about just asking and assuming somebody would want me to draw their stuff, but uh, since people were volunteering, I, I set up a little page on my website where people could send fears, and they, they show up right on my cell phone whenever people send in, in their fears, so it's a very direct sort of uh, connection. That's so amazing. Have you ever? It's, it's been fun. It's so interesting the different types because as I was reading through the books, there were some where I was like, I totally get it. Like I get that thing with the airplane bathroom where you think you might get flung out into the into the ether. Like I, I don't know. There's something creepy about that bathroom. So it's fascinating <laughs> to me how some of them I'm like totally with you, and then other ones that just never even occurred to me. Like the the woman who has to look all over the house to make sure her dogs aren't already in the house before she lets them in when she lets them out to make sure there's not shapeshifters in the house. I was like, wow, that one kind of stopped me in my <laughs> tracks. I was like, that I never even occurred to me, fears that I could have. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird how, how sometimes they're universal and then sometimes uh, like there's one um, I was just looking at yesterday that was an old one I drew um, or maybe a year ago that was... Um, Somebody worrying that everywhere they walked, they were they felt like they were towing a string behind them. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and if they get it tangled, then when they die, um, they can't get reeled back up into heaven. And so they are always worried about walking around a tree too many times and little things like that. Which, when I read it, I thought, wow, that's it's weird because that is so such a obscure sounding fear but it's also one that i had as a kid and somebody really? just sent that in yeah so i think that there's um for instance um i'm not sure if i'm going to draw this maybe i'll have to draw this next week since i'm saying it on uh, on the air but i have gotten at least 30 people telling me that one of their fears is that they'll be crossing a street in the middle of the night just as marty mcfly and doc's delorean materializes in the middle of the street and runs them over wow. and i've gotten that at least 30 times 30 yeah I think that's one of the neat things is um, at this point I've read so many of them that it really takes, it has to be different for me to want to draw it again. I don't want to keep on drawing the same things. Like of I'm, course. I feel like I've kind of played out getting stabbed in the eyes. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a visual artist. I don't want to lose my eyeballs. But I, I think it, it's strange because I, I, I feel like sometimes I'll, I'll, um, I'll feel, okay, that's, 
expect there can't be any more of these things and then somebody will send me a really fun one uh, i mean they sent me one that I, re- I really can't wait to draw for monday and i <laughs> i know the imagery and everything and and uh i was just reading them today um so it, it still surprises me and then every once in a while i'll I'll sneak in an anonymous submission for myself if I think of any new ones. I think one one of the very interesting parts has been doing doing the uh, the submissions. Sometimes I'll have to translate them. Sometimes they just come in in weird languages and things. And uh, yeah, that's been very interesting. That's so fascinating. I think that's there's something so great about just reading them as a reader. I was really it was so nice to see all of these things and to think, wow, I'm not the only weirdo with weird fears. Um, <laughs> And that it's just such a nice cross-section of humanity and then to translate it into something that everyone can recognize. I really love that about the project. Oh, thank you. And as somebody who has an irrational fear, this makes no sense. I mean, it like even in the realm of an irrational fear, it really doesn't make sense, which is my fear is that I'm going to get out of the shower and that the two little girls from The Shining are going to be there, which makes no sense because never in any part of that movie are they anywhere near. They're not in a bathroom. They're like in that hallway with the thing coming out. So no, I'm, but the zombie lady's in the bathroom. So right, I have no definitely... fears of the zombie lady. Zombie okay. lady's fine with me. It's the two little <laughs> girls. I think they're going to be outside the shower. I don't mm-hmm. understand. Yeah, but the, I mean, people are afraid of Wolfman under their bed. That's true, and I guess there are no movies about like Wolfman under the bed movie. But everybody mm-hmm. has that fear. I don't know what it is. It's it's always it's always been there. Plus the serial killer fear, but um. I power watched a bunch of Dexter to sort of immersion therapy my way out of that one. (laughs) So how did it go from being on the Tumblr? At what point did the idea of making it into a book happen? Um, Let's see. I started in 2000. The book came out in 2015 and I started in 2012. So I think in 2013, it wound up on, uh, on, what is it on BuzzFeed one day ah. and then shortly after it was on IO9 and uh, um, a few other kind of news aggregator sites. And that's when it really took off. I think it was one of those things where it's it, for some reason, things are much more popular if they, if they lose on famous people's names. So I think it was listed something as a uh, illustrator turns deep, turns fears into drawings or something like that because you know nobody's going to click on something that says Fran Kraus on it except for hopefully this podcast but um, <laughs> it will <they're>... of course <laughs> but um it wound up taking off on those things and the nice part was I've uh, I, I never really worked with an agent um not that agents are bad I've heard very good things about illustration agents but I don't really want this to become a job and so I, I was contacted by a few agents after the BuzzFeed thing saying, oh, we want to turn this into a book and we could sell this to uh, publishers. But I was also contacted directly from publishers. So 10 Speed Press was one of the publishers that contacted me. And at the time I was working on, on a contract to do an animation, a uh, two minute pilot for a network. And, and the contract was just horrible. And I've done animation before and I did two pilots for Cartoon Network that were fun. But contracts could take six months to a year just to get a contract to do a year's worth of work. And I was down to the point where I was, I was begging for them to, it just almost seemed vindictive in the contract. Like I was saying, Oh, could I, could you please put, put my, I'll have to set up a little studio to make this cartoon. So could I be on your insurance? And the network would say, uh, no. And I'd say, but it would cost you maybe 30 bucks and it's going to cost me 3000. Could you please do that? And they'd say no. And I'd say, Hey, there's a clause in here. After I give you the rights of, 
for this property forever for no money, it says that you can fire me at any time for no reason. Um, could you maybe change that to say you could fire me at any time for any reason? Because if I'm getting fired from my own cartoon, like it would be cool if you guys told me why. And they said, no, we really, we really <laughs> need the ability to fire you at any time for no reason. And so it took me, I think, three months of begging for them to switch it from, you know, they acted like it was, they're doing me a big favor. Okay, now we can fire you for any reason. You know, you're welcome. But um, just as, as I, I was getting that horrible contract, I got this contract from uh, 10 Speed, and it was the kind of contract that in the animation world I would be, that would be like a year's worth of negotiation and a lot of luck, where they, they automatically said, okay, you're in our insurance, and if anyone ever sues you over this book, we're going to protect you from that. And um, I, at some point I said, oh, it says here that you get the animation rights, and and uh, I, I'm an animator, so I don't really want to give you the animation rights, Deep Dark Fears. And they said, oh, we'll just cross it off. You know, don't worry about it. And I said, oh, Amazing. okay. And, um, and it was weird, because they also, in animation, you have to show... Um, your storyboards and your script and the animation when it's a quarter through and the animation when it's half through and you have to check in constantly. So you really don't have, it doesn't ever really feel like you have trust from the people that are hiring you. And sometimes uh, you feel like, why are, why are they hiring me? They really don't seem to want to work with me. And then I would look at the contract from 10 speed and, and I would think, wow, these people actually want to work with me. What's, and they're not checking in with me and they seem to actually trust me. And, and I was talking with a friend of mine who's uh, been a very successful uh, children's book author, and I said, what's, what's going on here? Why this contract is so good? I am suspicious. And he said, you know why, Fran? It's because they don't care. They just don't care. You know, you're, this thing that you're doing right now, uh, and a book costs one-tenth of what a, a short animation does. And books are cheap. They're just there's stuff printed on paper, and it's very cheap to make a book. So if your book is a failure, it's not going to sink the company. And if your book is a success, it's going to keep all the other books that are failures afloat. So the model of publishing is sort of the opposite of the model of animation. In animation, every animation has to be a hit. Um, every animation has to make its money back. So they can't really take any risks. But with books, the risk is that they'll mess it up or that they'll make you do something that isn't good. And they trust that, you know, you might be doing something weird, you might be do some, doing something out of the ordinary, but they're really trusting you to do what you want to do. And I think another nice thing is um, with a pilot for animation, you have to convince them that it will be a hit. But if you do something on the Internet that proves already that people watch it, and people are interested, then you kind of get, you, you're lucky to get past the point of trying to convince them, um, yes, trust me, this isn't going to sink your company. It's, you know, it's not going to be a disaster. You can point to the followers you have on the internet and say, hey, there's, I mean, I think at this point, it's almost a million followers in different places that follow Deep Dark Fears. So I can say, hey, here we go. Like, there's uh, 80,000 people in Turkey that follow the Turkish translation somebody puts up on uh, Instagram. So, you know, maybe we could put a translation there uh, when we release the book. And, and that's been, um, it's been refreshing to just kind of do what I think is good rather than try to convince people that it's good, if, if you know what I mean. I do. I mean, I've 
we've talked to um, Paul Shearing, who was the screenwriter for um, Prison Break, mm, actually, cool. and some other films. And he recently wrote a novel and was like, it was so nice to just write, you know, without having any notes or being, you know, having a whole studio involved and just be able to like write my story because I wanted to write this story and not have to check in and have, you know, this kind of constant input. Yeah. And to really feel free of it. It's really weird. And I, I think uh, of the, this children's book author that was giving me the good advice, um, I think that's one of the neat things about writing that I think a lot of younger artists are unfortunate that they don't get, there's not much of, of a time that they have where they don't get feedback. You know, I think, mm. I think uh, the nice part about writing is it forces you to sit there and look at it and try to figure out, do I like this? I think with Facebook and Instagram, you put something up and you almost immediately get feedback and that can tell you if it's good or not. Um, so I, I do think it's really important to sit with your stuff. I've been telling my students this over and over this year, trying to drill it into their heads. But um, it's important, I think, to sit with your work long enough. And because uh, there's come some comics I do where I think this is great. This is one of the best ones I've ever done. And then you know I, I put it up there, and maybe one famous person that maybe follows me or something doesn't retweet it, and then it looks like that's a failure when it's maybe one of the best comics I've done. And there's other times where um, I post something and by coincidence, it winds up on a few feeds and then it's suddenly popular. Um, and it doesn't really necessarily directly relate to the quality of the piece. It's just kind of the luck of the draw. So I do think it's, it's really important. And it's something we had a lot before the digital age of, not that I'm that old, but the, but when I was a kid, I know I'm starting to feel that way oh, too. Yeah. When I was a kid, I would just, I would draw something and then I'd be like, this is great. And then maybe like five people would see it and they'd be on my, my, yeah, they'd be my friends and they'd say, yeah, this is good. And then I'd say, okay, then that drawing is good. And yeah, I, I see a lot of stuff like, uh, like fan art is, is huge on the internet. And I think it's, it's mostly because everyone wants to see, yeah, they'll click like if they see, um, you know, Mario dressed in a different way and Hey, it's, that's something I know. It's, it's kind of a, a recognition, but um, it doesn't encourage uh, adventurousness, I'm afraid. No, or like trying something completely new. I mean, I think my husband will probably throw up in his mouth <laughs> as he's editing this portion of the episode, but I am really on a soapbox lately about how we need to give writers more freedom in the film world. I see so much more of it in the bo in books, like because like you say, people are willing to take more of a risk and there isn't like many millions of dollars behind it. But I'm like, could we please stop with the remakes of everything? Mm. You know, I think it was Flatliners that pushed me over the edge. And I was just like, that was a perfectly fine movie when it came out. But it was by no means like, you know, Orson Welles or something. Yeah. I mean, I felt like, you know, I saw Flatliners the first time. It was good. I felt really satisfied with it. But like somebody else could write something new now. Yeah. And it's so hard for people to take a risk. So it's, it's books where I see new people to have, you know, freedom to tell different stories. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm getting a little sick of every movie being a blockbuster. And I think uh, uh, it was nice to grow up when movies were 
there was a, there was Wes Andersons and and people who were making uh, heartfelt movies on a lower budget, but I don't think they're in theaters now because to make a profitable movie you have to be kind of a worldwide hit. Um, and I think that the people that were attracted to that kind of filmmaking mostly are making TV or writing or doing stuff for the internet now because I don't think they really get much out of being, I mean, it's, as far as the quality of their work of, of doing a feature for a movie, it, it doesn't seem like it's the, sort of like what I was talking about with YouTube. I don't think, it doesn't seem like theaters are the, the place that encourage independent-minded stuff. And and there's some blockbusters I've really enjoyed. Like, I thought the new Spider-Man was really fun. And uh, what is was the movie? I just, I mean, I honestly was, I, I was very amused by Valerian, despite that both the main characters were totally uh, uh, gross. You know, like, the, the, the design of it was fantastic. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to see it again just to look at those funny aliens. But as far as, and, but as far as the stories, the stuff that's really been hitting me lately is, you know, I just finished watching the second season of Stranger Things, and I think I felt like half the time I was watching it, I kept on turning to Joanna, my wife, and saying, "That's a really good decision." Oh wow, I like how they're blending those two characters again. Ooh, I like you know, I kept on just really smiling from ear to ear just by some of the writing decisions they were doing. And yeah, it seems like features going more towards spectacle, and TV and and online programming is going more towards uh, um, making you love the place and the characters. I wonder, I mean, it would be amazing if the way film is now drives everybody back into reading books. <laughs> I think that would make me so happy. I mean, I feel like there are, I mean, I feel like I'm like preaching to the choir because everybody listening to this is already somebody who likes books. Nobody listens to the secret library who's like, eh, books, I'm mm. not so into that. But but I love seeing um, publishing and, and stories. And I love that the publisher came right to you. That's amazing That that they're looking for interesting stuff that's new. I feel like that's so exciting to hear. Yeah, I, I think it's been really encouraging. And I think as far as like where people go, um, I mean, now that I have a Kindle, I read more books than I ever did before. I think one thing that's kind of occurred to me is uh, as much as I teach animation, I love animation. Um, animators are a lot of my best friends. But among the people that I, I talk with, uh, the stuff we consume is is books and podcasts, it seems, because when you're sitting there drawing or working on your storyboards, you're listening to podcasts and you're listening to books. And I think that's one one thing that's been kind of changing my direction of where I want to go. Like my next project, I don't think is, I mean, I might do another Deep Dark Fears book because I'll still be doing it every week. But the next project I kind of have is, uh, is a novel that I've started um uh, blocking out and I have an outline for at this point because I've realized that, you know, as much as I like TV and movies, I could reread The Shining any day. You know, I could, I, I love just starting um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I, I've read that book so many times at this point and, uh, and Lord of the Rings, um, things like that, where uh, I, I do like rewatching The Simpsons many times and I like movies, but I, I think that the stuff that inspires people to make things sort of like what Tumblr did for me when I realized it was a, like a, a good place on the internet. Um, despite, I, th I mean, I've heard that it has tons and tons of porn, but Hey, if you don't search for that and just look for comics, it's cool. It, <laughs> I think that people are inspired to do work that they enjoy. Um, sort of like, a, 
at some point I, I was very much a rock and roll fan in in college and I liked indie rock a lot and I, I it took me a long time to get rap and understand that and I couldn't get the turntable thing and, and I had a very smart uh, teacher I think it was Jeff Adams uh, was a sound teacher that told me this uh, um, where he said I was like I, I don't get turntables and he said well um, I think the the thing that inspires people to make music is that people want to look up on a stage and see somebody doing something and think I can do that. And somebody doing a turntable, that somebody is going to see that and hear the music, enjoy it, and look at the turntable and think I can do that. But the the trick is they can't. Um, it's going to take some practice and it's going to take a lot of work, and not everyone can do it. But I think the thing he was talking about is just what inspires people to do art is the feeling that they can do it, but then some difficult barriers to fight through to make it an interesting piece. And I think any good art form does that. Uh, But lately I've been, I've been thinking about that more with books because it's like, Oh, I don't need any fancy computer programs. I don't need any art tools. I just need a word processor or a pad and paper and I can just start that. And, and uh, the challenge is really, um, you know, taking those words and making them interesting, I hope. We'll see. I love that you're working on a novel. It's It'll be interesting. I haven't really, uh, I've written out anything outside of comics and animation before, but I, I think one of my favorite parts of, of a project is that point where you can't sleep because you keep on waking up um, and thinking, oh, no, I got to write that down. Oh, okay, I got to write that down. And then you'll just sit in bed all night watching, thinking of good ideas and wake up really tired the next morning. So I think I'm kind of in that phase, which is, it, it's a fun phase to, to be writing. Yeah, it's the fun, sleepy phase. <laughs> but so did the idea just hit you for that one? And you said, oh, this isn't, this isn't comic. This isn't an animation. This has got to be a novel. It's probably something I thought of about three years ago. And it's been something that's been stewing in my head and slowly changing as I'm working on the comics. And it's it was like a it's like rolling a piece of gum around in the dirt eventually it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger and uh um collecting little ideas that i want to keep and so it started off as just a little concept and eventually it's at this point uh i think i've got about 20 chapters outlined and um, wow. i mean really roughly it, some of them are just a, a sentence that just say this is what happens in this chapter um but it's a it's a sci-fi book about time travel and um it's it's fun because I think time travel, it's like a philosophical exercise usually, yeah. and so um, it's sort of like if you could man if you could manage to write a book that was entirely based on would you rather concepts. Um, <laughs> I think time travel is similar to that, where it's it's just it's just people sitting around thinking, okay, do you go see the dinosaurs first or do you go forward and find out how you're going to die? And then, then the book pops out of that. So it's, it's, it's a very, like, a book that you can write almost by just having conversations with yourself and your friends. And that's, that's a fun kind of book, I think. Not that I've written any others, Definitely. but yeah, we'll see how this goes. I'm hoping to... Well, you've got to start with the one you're most excited yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping it'll take about a year. And so hopefully by next Halloween I'll have something figured out. I'm trying to get re- get through a couple other projects before I get started on that. Um, I like making guitars in my spare time and fixing them up, and so I've been on this mad rush to finish all of my little guitar projects before I start on this book project, so I don't have to... Um, sort of like it's it's hard to 
what was it the saying of you can always tell a writer is it's got writer's block because their house is really clean oh yeah yeah i'm kind of in that phase where i'm like i'm trying to just clean my house and get everything out of the way before i can get started um which is probably a little bit of being scared of getting started but also not wanting to have another project that I can stand up and start doing elsewhere. Does it feel really meta? Like sometimes you want to illustrate fears that you're discovering that you have about the writing process or like, oh, I'm having this fear in the process of doing a project. And then it feels like there's like layers on layers with it. Um, well, I think everything's layers on layers. Uh, I mean, that's probably there's, I don't think there's anything that can be one layer these days. Like there's one I found a couple weeks ago that was I probably did this about four or five years ago at this point but it's one that was me sitting at a, a sketchbook saying um haha I like that and then I think the next panel saying uh oh what if that's the last good idea I ever have and then oh. uh then the last panel is just me sitting with a really long beard <laughs> and and it's comforting because I think when I came out with that idea I I, I was totally worried that I was going to you know, it was just starting to take off and I was going to run out of ideas about deep, dark fears. Um, and at this point that was like 300 fears ago, at least. So that's a great way of measuring time. How many fears ago it was. <laughs> yeah, it, it does get to be, um, get to be a habit and, um, sort of like summer vacations for teachers. It's, it's a measure of time. So how, I, I want to talk about that a little bit before we wrap up. Mm. Like, how was it to go from like, a thousand followers to a million like that's a big jump and did you have any fears that came up as a result of that happening other than I'm going to run out of ideas like how was it to just sort of have it blow up like uh, that? it's been fine it's there's really been absolutely no effect on my life um as far as Great. yeah uh one of the things I learned from YouTube is if somebody sends you a nasty comment never ever ever reply to it there's mm -hmm. no uh as uh friend's friend once told me never argue with an idiot they'll take you down to their level and beat you with experience and um, <laughs> nice. and so yeah if somebody and luckily I've only gotten um I mean I've probably gotten thousands and thousands of emails at this point and I think I've only gotten three nasty ones and recently somebody even emailed me back and said hey I posted something to your Instagram that said that um uh, your comics weren't scary anymore, but that was a mean thing to say, and I'm sorry. And I thought, oh my god, internet, <laughs> wow, internet, like conscience. And I wanted to save it, but to respond on Tumblr when you respond to somebody's comment, their 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 uh, message disappears. But I might have taken a screenshot. But I responded to that one because I was like, thanks, kid. Yeah, no problem. But you never know. Like with the internet, I've gotten comments that are mean, and then I'll look and I'll be like, oh, this is an 11 year old's account on Instagram. So what am I getting all bent out of shape over? I think that the people want to hurt if they're saying negative things. And so if you, and they also want a platform and if you don't provide that platform, you, it's, it's really not a big problem. So as far as my day to day life goes um, in the summers, when I'm not teaching, I draw every comic at a little coffee shop um, over on sunset um, or near sunset. And uh, so no one will know where it is. And, um, and honestly, I have drawn a comic there hundreds of times and yeah, I've got like millions of followers on, well, maybe a million followers altogether all over the world. I have never had anyone approach me. Like no one has ever walked by as I'm drawing this comic for hours in a coffee shop and said, Oh, Hey, you're the deep, dark fears guy. Never. 
not once. The only people who have ever said anything to me while I'm drawing are curious five-year-olds who don't understand why an adult is drawing with crayons. That's, awesome. that's it. And I've never, and some people send me really, really personal stuff on, on my, uh, my comments and things. And they'll send me fears that I would, I can't draw just cause I can't do them justice or that they're, they're so dark and, and hard to read that, um, I can't, I can't do them, but they're just getting stuff off their chest. And I, you know, part of me wants to email them back and say, don't, you know, it's going to be better. It's okay. But I, I can't be therapist to the world. And the way I communicate with people is through these comics. And I think that's kind of understood is, uh, sometimes people just email me to get stuff off their chest. And then sometimes I, I manage to draw them. But, um, I think that's, that's been an effect is I definitely get more fears, um, and, and I can't communicate with everyone, um, which kind of keeps it more at my scale. Uh, another weird thing is it's been pirated into a lot of languages, which at first really annoyed me because I'd think, oh, what, they're, that's not, you know, they're changing the comic of uh, the title of Deep Dark Fears into something in Chinese I can't read, and what the hell? But um, I put my comics, I put my signature somewhere where it's kind of hard to Photoshop it out, and it's on the internet enough now so that people can't just delete the title Deep Dark Fears and you know, I don't think that would be sufficient to uh, make it so that nobody could track me down. So right. at this point, like somebody just emailed me on Instagram to say, hey, there's this blog on uh, Instagram that's copying your stuff and it's translating it into Turkish because for some reason, Turkey is the main place that, that translates my stuff now. Um, I think also maybe Spanish, but... Um, and because they've got a lot of yeah, I was, I was looking at the Turkish translations. I was like, great. I mean, they've got ninety thousand followers. Um, I can't speak Turkish, so they're sharing my comics with ninety thousand people. And you know, even if three of them buy my book, that's three books I wouldn't have sold otherwise. So it's like free translation. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think the the first book got translated into I think seven or eight languages. Um, and that wouldn't have happened if people didn't share my comics. I mean, I, I'm annoyed every once in a while somebody will Photoshop out my signature or um, change my drawings in some way. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, um, those have been the big changes. Um, you know, I, I, every once in a while I'll get an email that says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm in charge of this agency and I'm tracking down the rights for Deep Dark Fears. Do you own the TV rights for Deep Dark Fears? And I'll say yes. And then I'll never hear from them again. And that's happened about five or six times. So, oh, so maybe. Wow. So they're sniffing yeah, around. But I, 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 that's been happening for at least the past three years and nothing's really come of it. So I, I like being a full-time teacher that makes comics. I don't think I'd want to have my own show. I'd like to be a script doctor. Um, I'd like to uh, help people with their shows. I'd like to come up with concepts and have other people um, turn it into a show. But I'd, I don't want to you know, spend three years working 15 hour days and trying to make a show. I, I, I'm, I like the scale of what I'm doing now. Um, I think that's another reason I'm, I'm making a novel next is it's sort of like making a movie, only you don't need help and you don't need to convince <laughs> anyone that it's good before you do it. That's, that's really been the appealing part for me. Yes. I think that's, I think that's true. The other thing you've done that's incredibly clever is that you're, photo of you is a drawing everywhere so 
I, I'm like, I wish I had done that. It's so clever because nobody can ever come up to you. I mean, no wonder they can't come up to you unless you actually, in my head, you do look exactly like the drawing and you're like a drawing walking around. Um, well, if you Google Fran Krauss, there's images that come up, but I do have a twin brother named Will Krauss. So it's it's a little confusing that way. Um, and also I have an old lady's name. So a lot of people, much to my amusement, think I'm a woman when they're emailing. Because the, the, the photo I have up for Deep Dark Fears is just from one of the first comics. It's somebody that was in them. So I, I've gotten some comments that are like, why do you draw everybody like a pale white guy? And it's like, that's, that's, just, that's just me, dude. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I like the anonymity of it. I, I mean, part of me, of course, wants to be walking down the street in L.A. and have somebody say like, you, I want you to be in the background of a, you know, a McDonald's commercial or something random like that. But yeah, I, like I just, I just had one uh, a friend recently who got uh, casted to be on a, um, a commercial where she's enjoying wine and giggling with friends. I think that was the, the how that she got casted. That was the stage direction. Amazing. Yeah, some, somebody was just like, you, be in my wine commercial. And like, yeah, part of me wants to be recognized in that way, but... Um, As a wine giggler? Hey, I, I, I've already done a comic that's basically saying, hey, I'm in L.A. and I want to be playing a dead body in a trunk at some point. I think that would be really yes. fun. And sometimes I really do practice lying still, and I think I'd be really good at it. Um, oh, that but, were, that's uh, like another fear I had, actually. I had yeah. this fear. Okay, here's here's the one. And it would be really difficult to, to draw, but it mm-hmm. involved lying really still, which mm-hmm. was I was very afraid that a murderer would break into the house, but... Mm-hmm. So I would have these long things. I would push the covers way back. So I would hide under the pushed back covers and hoping that they, if they came into the room, they would think, oh, there's no one in that bed. They've clearly mm-hmm. pushed the covers aside. And I would debate whether I should lock the door to my room or not. Because I'm like, if they break into the rest of the house, then they won't be able to get into the room. But if they come in my window, I won't be able to get out. Yeah. Is that a common think... one? Am I like a complete weirdo? Or is mm. that, have you heard this I one? Mean... It's similar, not not as many details as that, because you, you've really put some thought <laughs> into that. I I, I think um, when I was a kid, I tried doing that where I laid really flat in the bed, and I think one of my parents said, oh, I didn't see you there. And I think they were kidding at the time, because, of course, you'd oh. see a lump in the bed. But as a kid, I thought, I'm good at this. Yes. And so, um, so I, I think... Uh, Ways of dealing with a homicidal killer in your bed is is uh, in your house is something that um, a lot of people have put some thought into their escape plans. One thing I think is really amusing about how people deal with uh, unlikely events like being chased by a killer is that thing we all do on the street where um, you know when somebody's you think somebody might be following you mm-hmm. and you you don't look back but you walk faster. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah. Where you're walking down the street and that's just crazy. Because if somebody is actually following you, they're, you want them to know that they're looking, that you, you know they're there, right? Because then like they can't speak up them. you. But I think what's happened is we've all convinced ourselves that we've seen too many movies where somebody's following somebody, and when they look back, that's just when the killer starts to chase them. Right. You're going to like lose your advantage. Yeah. But if you think you're being followed, just like, just run. You know, and look back and see if you are being followed. Uh, but like, don't let them just slowly sneak up on you as you look forward and try to speed walk your way out of that thing. That doesn't make any sense because you're not in a movie. But I think a lot of these complicated stories are are. Um, I think people are a lot of people are under the false impression that um, they're not storytellers and that 
only authors are storytellers, but, you know, I think the reason that these fears are so universal is that everyone tells themselves stories that aren't really true. Um, it's just some people write them down and try to make money off of it. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I do, I do think that that's a mixed situation, that being chased thing, because mm. if the only time when you're supposed to not run is like if you've just robbed a bank or something and you're trying to like have done a quick change into another outfit and you're trying to pull it off that like no I didn't rob that bank I'm just casually walking down the street like everybody else like then maybe you don't want to look but other than that yeah there's really no advantage to to not looking hopefully we saved a life I think we may have and also maybe we'll get you a gig as a dead body on a show that would be awesome yeah, so anyone who's listening who's a casting director, we've got somebody ready for dead body duty. I am ready. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy we got to have this conversation. And I hope um, one of the things that I love most is that there's a certain amount of vulnerability in the project of sharing fears. And it, it seems like that's encouraged other people to behave with respect. And I'm hoping that encourages other people who are working on projects that maybe feels like they have to expose some things about themselves that are a little scary. And that if you are honest about those things, then hopefully people will be kind in return. I hope so. I, I think something that is really encouraging about the internet is that if it's a success, everyone will see it. And if it's a failure, by definition of the internet, no one will see it. So though if you're worried about being vulnerable, there's really no risk on the internet because yeah, if it's if you end up making something that nobody likes, no one's going to see your vulnerability anyways. Good point. Well, I can't wait to have you back on when you have the novel done and um, oh. talk about how that went. So keep us posted on, on all do. of that. Thanks Thank so much. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.